You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Numbers 18 tonight, so when you find Numbers 18, I'll ask for it, that you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. And you might say, well, this is a really wonderful portion of Scripture to draw a message out of, but I, I believe it's there, and we'll see how it all ties in together, really with a lot of things that are even going on at our church right now, right? So Numbers chapter number 18, I'll read it, and then when we're seated, I'll give, as I get in the message, I'll give background and context where this fits in, because you may say, well, we're just jumping into something. We are. But I'll give you the context, and you'll be like, that makes perfect sense, all right? Hopefully, you'll say that makes perfect sense. And verse number one, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto thee and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And they shall keep the charge and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come nigh the vessels of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die. And they shall be joined unto thee and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come nigh unto you. So not everybody gets to serve the Lord. It's true, there, because the strangers were not allowed to serve the Lord. They're only a certain group. And it says in verse 5, And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary, and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren the Levites from among the children of Israel, to you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift. Now notice how God describes that. A service of gift. That's how Aaron was to view the ministry that was given to him. A service of gift. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Now I want you to jump to verse 25. Uh, there's some regulations in between this. How God was going to take care of Aaron. We'll highlight some of that later. Uh, how God was going to take care of them because... Uh, God didn't just put him to work and say, I hope you make it, bud. That's not how God operated, and we're going to get into some of that. And a separate message, but if you want to read about tithing and stuff in there, it all comes in, into this portion of Scripture here. Uh, but why don't you look at verse 25, if you will. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When ye take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance... Then ye shall offer up and heave offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth of the tithe. 
and this is your heave offering, shall be reckoned unto you as though it were the corn of the threshing floor, and as the fullness of the wine press, that shall ye offer and heave offering unto the Lord of all your tithes which ye received of the children of Israel. And ye shall give thereof the Lord's heave offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts ye shall offer every heave offering of the Lord, of all the best thereof, even the hallowed part thereof out of it. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, when ye have heard of the, when ye have heaved the best thereof from it, then it shall be counted in the Levites as an increase of the threshing floor and as the increase of the wine press. And ye shall eat it in every place, and ye and your household. Now listen to this next phrase. For it is your reward for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So two very important phrases that begin and close out this chapter, that this is a gift of service, and then God closes it out, this is your reward of service. And so between those two points is a great truth that uh, we'll be applying to our own lives. Well, may God bless in the reading of his word, and you can go ahead and be seated. I really uh, enjoy uh, going through the Old Testament, especially at the, the, the beginning uh, books of the Bible there, really Genesis through Joshua, because though they are historical books, uh, they are considered historical books, but they are also deep in spiritual illustration, even as a whole, as each, each book represents a truth in our, in our lives and where we are at as believers, because Genesis, uh, Genesis is all about ruin, and if you'll if you'll, when you read Genesis, you'll see that it begins with life and it ends with a funeral at the end of it. And really, that's true because uh, sin entered in the world and God said, uh, because of sin, that you shall surely die. And that's, Genesis leaves us on, on, that, on that note. But thankfully, when you get into Exodus, Exodus is a book of redemption. Uh, a book of redemption, God redeeming his people on a political or a national sense but it offers us, it, it's no stretch of the imagination because it pictures the redemption that comes uh, through Jesus Christ because we sing, all, we sing the song all the time, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Well, we know that Jesus said he is the greater Passover, so we, are, we know this, when God passed over them, the Bible says that they were a redeemed people. And if you're underneath the blood, you're a redeemed people. You've been called out. The death angel has passed over you, and uh, you have been set free. And then the, in the book of Leviticus, then you, you have people that have been set free as a people that have been set free to do not whatever they want to do, but to be regulated to worship a holy and righteous God. That's what Leviticus is, is about. They weren't saved just to do whatever they wanted to do. God saved them so he could worship them. But then we get to the book of Numbers, which is so good because... Numbers is the events that take place before Joshua. And I want you to know crossing over the Canaan, uh, crossing over into Canaan land is not crossing over into heaven as some people picture that. I mean, it makes for some good singing, but that's not really accurate because uh, we don't fight in heaven, all right? So you're reading Joshua. But really what it is is possessing that victorious life that we have in Christ. But to get to the victorious life in Christ, you've got to go through numbers. 
which is that wilderness experience, that life that we live each and every day, that the life that you and I experience and live daily is really can be called a wilderness experience because God tells us that these, uh, the Israelites, they are pilgrims. And in the New Testament, when you are saved, you are a pilgrim. You, your citizenship has been renounced uh, for the things of earth and your citizenship is in heaven. This earth is not my home. I'm just the passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So we understand that, that when we're going through numbers, and as we, it helps us to understand what we're looking at tonight, to realize that we are dealing with spiritual application and truth, not so much for people that aren't saved, but we are dealing with people that are redeemed, that are, that are saved. And usually on a Wednesday night, that would in, uh, encapsulate most of us here on a Wednesday night. I, I hope it does. And even if you're not saved here tonight, uh, getting saved on a Wednesday night would be all right also. We could, we could work that into the service, I'm sure. But I'm going to tell you this. So we're dealing with uh, a truth and application that is primarily dealing with the life of a redeemed person as they live here on this earth. Now when we think about that and what, we're, what we are going to see tonight, it brings into focus what our, what our theme is, love, love works, all right? Really love works and we have all these sign-up sheets uh, back there and uh, for what you may be interested in, what you may like to do and uh, there's all sorts of uh, ideas out there and but you know it really could be summed up in in really one word love works is really the idea of service is that is that a pretty fair assessment if you say well love works that's too long of a phrase for me all right then we will just call it service because it is service we are to be we are to be serving uh, we are to be serving the Lord. That's the idea of a, of a redeemed people. But I think sometimes if we're not careful, I think our idea when we, when we start to think about service and serving the Lord, and it's really a lot broader than just pieces of paper that we put our name, really our name down to, really service and servitude towards our Savior, and it, it covers literally every single aspect and every single moment of your life. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, I, I believe we can almost develop what I would call a, a, a Cinderella mentality. And you say, now how did you just go to Cinderella? Well, if you, I, you know, if you have kids, you just see about every kid's movie known to man. I don't know if I've ever watched all of Cinderella. That's just not my thing. And uh, I mean, I mean, my wife, I got the, I've got the queen and all that, you know. I didn't have any glass slippers, praise the Lord, but I'll just tell you this. But when you read that, or you see that movie, she, uh, Cinderella, has, to, has a very evil stepmother with her two daughters. And guess who's got to do everything around? And guess who's got to do all the chores? And guess who who's, uh, is forced to do this and can do that? And I mean, they're working poor Cinderella to the bone. Now, how many of you believe that Cinderella is serving her stepmother out of a love and devotion to her, but just out of sheer duty because she's been coerced into it? Because really she has no, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. 
this is what stepmother wants me to do. This is my duty. This is my responsibility. And the fact of the matter is, is look, signing up for these sheets, I'm all in favor of it. I'm all in favor of serving the Lord. But the, the reality is, oftentimes, oftentimes serving the Lord can become nothing more than a duty and something that, well, pastor asked me to do it. This is what I should do. I know God wants me to do it. So then I, then I would go, I guess I better go ahead and do that. I know from personal experience because if you've ever had to, pre- had to prepare at least three messages a week and, and try to get up and do that, you know, sometimes it's just like, man, I've, you know, you've worked a secular job and then you come up with three messages and then you're like, oh man, now I've got to go to church on Sunday and I've got to do this. You know what? Sometimes the heart isn't necessarily in the spot that it needs to be. And sometimes you may roll into church just like that and you may roll into, well, I guess I better do that for the Lord. And it becomes something done out of duty, not out of something that's heartfelt and, and desire, uh, something that God would desire for us. You see, I want you to understand following and serving God is not some storybook. It's, it's a life that we are to, to live out. And God gives us this portion of scripture, I believe, today to, to challenge us, to encourage us, to even hopefully, if we need to, to be convicted in our, in our life. Because what we are dealing with is a chapter dealing with a call to lifetime service. And I'm just telling you this, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't care what your age is, uh, I don't care how young and spry you are or old and feeble, the fact of the matter is, is there's no such thing as retirement when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to look at here tonight is this lifetime call and service that is placed on, on here. Now when we look at the context of math, or Matthew, Numbers 18 here, it falls in, it's, it's the third part of a whole story that's taken place, which goes all the way back to Numbers 16. And just as a brief recap, Numbers 16, Korah got too big for his britches. And he thought, well, uh, Aaron, are you the only one that can approach God? Or are you the only one that can serve him? And you know, misery loves company. So uh, Korah, he got himself, uh, got himself a following. And they all start griping and complaining uh, uh, to Moses there. And uh, man, I love the story though. But Moses is like, well, let's just see who, who's in favor of this. Whether, whether God's for us or whether he's for you. And let's pray that maybe if something weird happens, like the whole ground opens up and swallows you dead, that maybe that will be an indication. You know, as soon as I heard that, I would have left. I'd have been like, this is not good. Moses is talking crazy. I'm out of here because this can't be good. But the story goes, we know that, that uh, Korah swallowed up in the earth. His buddies there fried to crispy critters out there on the, on the desert floor. I mean, people are genuinely scared. And if you were there, man, you'd be genuinely scared. And a right question was being asked in the hearts of the people is, who's going to be able to approach God? Who's going to be able to go up to God at this, at this moment? Because I would be scared to go up, up to God. I mean, I just saw the ground open up. I just saw fire come shooting out of the tabernacle and just burn people to ashes in a, in a heap on the desert floor. I'm thinking, man, I don't know about you, but I think I could do something better with my time. And, uh, man, a very difficult situation. 
But you know what? God never left his people in a state of bewilderment, wondering what's going to take place, what's going to transpire there. Because number 17 is, a, is a, another wonderful chapter, another picture of Jesus Christ. So uh, God said to Moses, he said, now I want you to gather, uh, gather a rod. Get a stick from every single tribe. Everyone's going to write your name on, on, the, on this stick, on this rod. And Aaron, you're going to get your own rod, and you put your name on there. And uh, I hope he was like these little kids that write their names really big. And uh, Aaron's like, this is Aaron's rod. I mean, his name is really big on there. And he gathered all the rods, put them before the tabernacle there, and they closed up and closed up shop for the night. And they said, let's come in the morning and see who God has chosen. They came in the morning, and there is Aaron. Now, this is a great picture of the resurrection of Christ. A dead stick, no life in it at all, all comes out of the darkness and into the marvelous light there. And I mean, it's got branches, it's got leaves, it's got flowers, it's got almonds all over it. And uh, it's pretty obvious to go through that whole process that a miracle has taken place and it was on Aaron's rod. God gave a visual demonstration to them who he was cho choosing to approach before him. And now when you get into number 17, there we have God is not just visualizing the call, but verbalizing it now to Aaron and to those around him. And this call then that God has placed on, on Aaron, it regards the, the priesthood. And it's very important. Maybe we get used to hearing it. You know how important the priesthood was? You and I... Thankfully, we can boldly come before the throne of grace. But when you were in the Old Testament, you didn't just get to, you just didn't get to come to God any way you wanted to, however you wanted to, whenever you wanted to. There was rules and regulations that went along with that. And it was the priest and the Levite's responsibility to make sure everything was, was running in order. Well, you may say, well, I don't, I don't know what the big deal about it. The big deal about it was, is what God has already said in this text is, if you did not do it right, you were going to, you were going to die. Aren't you thankful we don't have Sunday morning services like that? Like, you come in here and your heart's not right with God and, and you're, you're just kind of not doing things right. And then, man, you just see people just dying in the service. You'd be probably, I'd be scared to come to church. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you this, I mean, this is very serious business that he's about. And what Aaron's got to do is even more so. Now, I want you to think about this. Who's in charge of all the Levites? The Levites were the helpers of the, of the priest. It's Aaron. He's responsible for all these priests to make sure that they're all doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way, in the way that God prescribes it. And, and we're, we're dealing not with just a handful of people. I mean, we're dealing with a whole group of people. And he's, he's responsible to make sure for that, that they're learning the law, that, they're, that they know how to do their office when it comes time for them to do their office. Because I'm guessing that a lot of these Levites, they probably have their own families and their, their wives, maybe their mom and dad, would like their children to come home after a busy day at the tabernacle. Do you only think so? And Aaron's got a responsibility for all of that to take place. And then on, on top of that, if you read through the book of Numbers, part of the responsibility included this. When they camped, 
the tabernacle would be in the middle and everyone else would camp around it. And they had a literally a buffer zone around, I mean, they had, a, they had a demilitarized zone around the tabernacle, and the Levites were in that circle because just in case your kid ran off because he kicked his ball towards the tabernacle, they were going to make sure they grabbed your kid by the scruff of the neck because he got too close to the curtains. I mean, he didn't even have to get to the tabernacle. He got too close to the curtains, and it was, it was kaput for him. He was over with. And so he's got the responsibility of not just the Levites, but even the welfare of the community around him. A really great line that's used in, in, the, uh, in the previous chapter is, you see, after all that Korah rebellion thing, you would think that the people would start getting their hearts right with God. You know what they immediately did? They murmured and mumbled against Moses that he killed everybody. And Moses said... Aaron, you got to get out there because the plague of God has started in the camp and we're going to have nobody to lead at the end of this day. I mean, if you don't get out there and we don't do something quick. The Bible says that Aaron grabbed a censer in his hand and he ran out there and the Bible said, this is a great phrase, he stood between the dead and the living. He stopped a plague from transpiring and taking place. You see, this is a serious responsibility that he has. He was taking a stand between the living and the dead. But I believe Aaron understood what he was getting into. Because you know what? He had already lost two sons in the ministry. He had two boys that thought, well, we can just worship God and serve him any way that we want to. Until they had to drag, put a rope around your ankle and drag you out from the from the presence of God because you worship strange fire before God. Read about it. It's in the Bible. They dropped dead there. It was a bad day. And God said, don't even cry for them, Aaron. They should have known better. And you represent me. They should have known better. Just take them out there and get, keep serving. He knew how serious this was. And not only was it something that was to be taken seriously, but it is, but it is made... Uh, meant to be taken responsibly and seriously. You see, there is an interesting phrase that we read tonight that you probably read over it a million times and never gave any thought to it at all. I read it tonight and you probably didn't think anything about it. Look at the beginning words in Numbers 18. It says, And the Lord said unto Aaron, And the Lord said unto Aaron, and you may say, well, I'm still not following you. What's so important about that phrase? Okay, from the time of before the exodus ever happened, who was God speaking to continuously face-to-face -face, over and over and over and over again? It was Moses. Moses was the one that God was continually speaking to, continually uh, affirming his role and his position of leadership within the nation of Israel. Everything was now going, was going through Moses. God was doing his work through there. But then all of a sudden you get to Numbers 18 and now God's speaking directly to Aaron. Because what, what he's showing to Aaron is this, is you have been now elevated into a position of leadership now. You are now responsible to lead in service and in serving me in the tabernacle and leading other people in, in this very thing. And for, uh, for God to be speaking unto them 
Really, it was going to help settle the rumblings of everybody else because everyone else knew, okay, this is the man God has chosen for, uh, for him to be, ser be serving before the Lord. But you know what comes with that? Great accountability when everybody knows what you're supposed to be doing, right? And so Aaron couldn't just be like, well, maybe we could just cut some corners this morning. That's not going to work anymore. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be responsible, and, he's gonna, and the people are going to see that. And, um, and so in serving God, he was going to be responsible, again, not just for himself, but the whole tribe of Le, uh, Levi. I mean, it, this, is, this is some serious business that's going on. You know, it, you know that saying, everything rises and falls on leadership? Well, that's where Aaron's at now. I mean, you say, well, I thought he was a leader before. Well, there's no question about it because the nation of Israel had some questions all the way up till this very moment. And God said, we're going to settle this in Numbers 17 and Numbers 18. And it is so, when we look at that, considering then all the laws and regulations, the taking care of the, the, the tribe of Levi, the, all the other people, you think of all the rules and regulations. If you read through Levi or Leviticus, your mind probably swims in a million different directions. When you think about what it takes to, to take down and put up the tabernacle, I mean, I just, that blows my mind. I mean, I can't hardly pick up my room, more or less put up the tabernacle. And I'm just telling you, he's got to do all that. Could you imagine one pin being out of place? One curtain falling down? Man, I'm telling you, I guarantee Aaron woke up with a burden on his shoulders, there is a responsibility. And so when you look at this tonight, you say, well, that's good for Aaron. Last time I checked, I'm not Jewish. Last time I checked, I'm not, I'm not an Aaronic priest of the priesthood. Probably not. I'm not a Levite. You're probably not. But I'm going to tell you this. The application is, is there for us because we don't have to Wonder what God says about it. Listen to this. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter, chapter number 2, this should sound familiar. But, you are a but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, uh, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past... We're not a people, but now are the people of God. Do you want me to summarize that? That's called being redeemed. You are called out of darkness into, into the marvelous light. Uh, and it said, which had not obtained mercy, but now, but now have obtained mercy. But do you understand that you are part of a royal priesthood? So what, how would, would you understand that verse in the New Testament, what a priesthood is, unless you had the Old Testament as your backdrop to be able to understand that. And so when I look at that, and I would say to myself, then, okay, then if I'm a part of a royal priesthood, if I'm saved, I've been received mercy by God through his son, Jesus Christ. I am a part of this priesthood. The only way that I could ever make sense of that very thing is to look at what God has already set out for the priesthood in the Old Testament. Because I'm certainly not going to the Catholic Church for their definition of priesthood. Because I'm not, I'm not ready for that. You know, I kind of like being married. I like, sometimes I like having children. You know how that goes. But 
But yeah, I'm not going to look to them. If I want to understand what God's saying, I'm going to go then, I'm going to make application in the Old Testament there and look at it, what it says, the priesthood in the Old Testament. Because what I said and what we read earlier is, do you understand that then there was no stranger could serve? No stranger could serve. That's what Aaron said. No strangers coming near this. And I'm going to tell you this. When you, are, when you do not know Christ as your Savior, when you were lost in your sins, you were a stranger. You were a stranger to the things of, things of God. Matter of fact, God puts it in even worse terms than just being a stranger. You were at enmity with God. You were at odds with God. And I tell you this, God wasn't interested in your service. And when you, all you're doing when you're trying to serve God and your loss is doing nothing more than practicing good works and hoping to make yourself acceptable in the eyes of God and it'll never be. Well, I did a lot of good things before I saved. In your opinion, you've done a lot of good things. And you served God in a lot of good ways before you were saved, in your own opinion. But in God's eyes, he said all your righteousness is are as filthy rags. God looks at, he accepts none of your service before you get saved. It is. Because you don't need to serve God. You need to get saved by God. That's what you need before, before this. But after we get saved, praise the Lord, we can then therefore approach God. We can therefore, as Hebrews tells us, we can come boldly before him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Hey, when Jesus died on the cross, do you remember what happened in the temple veil? It was rent, not from the bottom up, but from the top to the bottom. In other words, God said, I have opened and made a way for you who was separated from me. Now you can approach me. Now you can serve me. Now we don't need a certain segment of priesthood, but now each and every one of you who are saved have that same ability now to come before God. And thankfully, we can come before him in full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Christ. That's what we're looking at here. And so when we're dealing in the book of Numbers and we're dealing with the priesthood of believers then, we are dealing then with this. We're not making some far-fetched jump from saying, here is Aaron being called to a lifetime of service. That we are not making this leap to saying that when we are saved, that we are redeemed, that God has called us to the same lifetime of service. He most certainly, he most certainly has. I know people have used the cliche and stuff before, but you weren't saved to sit. You are saved to serve. That, that's, most, that's most certainly the case. You are, saved, you are saved to serve. And that's exactly what God tells us to do. You see, <clears throat> Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now hold it, even if I stop there, what do we know about a sacrifice. What we know in the Old Testament, we're talking about a burnt sacrifice. And the burnt sacrifice meant you consume it all. And God is saying this, that when you are saved, your life is to be consumed. Your life is to be given up totally to him. I'm supposed to relinquish all rights? Yes. And when you get saved, can I tell you this? You can't relinquish any rights because you just forfeited them all because you are bought with a price and you cannot do those things you used to do because you are not your own. So technically, when you get saved, 
you owe, he has zero rights. And it says, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness, or, sorry, um, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He didn't say this is overbearing. He didn't say that, man, this is, this is too difficult. That, man, you're going to burden my life down. I've got my own dreams. I've got my own aspirations. I've got my own life. I've got my own life to live. The only reason why you have a life to live is there is a God who graciously allows you to have it every day. Seriously. And the fact of the matter is, this is your reasonable service. That's what God is trying to say to him. Because I emphasize the fact that he says, this is your gift of service. God is gifting us the privilege of being able to serve him. It's easy to have love works when you understand we have been gifted an opportunity to be able to serve God. Because your life was absolutely miserable and worthless before you got saved. And Christ came and brought worth to your life so you can finally do something meaningful. That's exactly what's taking place here. And this should be looked at as a gift of God. When we, when we have these sign-up sheets or different ministries or things like that, we shouldn't be saying, well, there they go again. They didn't need help with that. Or they want me to do this. They want me to do that. Well, the fact of the matter is, if, if, if that's your attitude, you should just get right with God tonight and just confess it as being sinful and wrong. Because what you should be saying is, this is a gift. Praise God, I'm still here. I can still hold a pen and write my name down on a piece of paper. I'll tell you this, if I have the ability for every single one of those ministries, because you don't want me in the music ministry, I'm just telling you, there's other ministries you don't want me involved in, but if I could... I would just put my name on one sheet of paper there with an arrow that goes all the way to the other end and then put my name at the other end and I'll just cover those two points. But that should be your attitude. But can I tell you this? That service and your reasonable service isn't just what we're signing up for. It's every single day, every single part of your life. If you're married, you have a reasonable service the Bible defines roles for the husband towards his wife and the wife towards her husband. Gives responsibilities for parents towards their children. Children towards the adults. The employee towards the employer. The citizen of a nation in relationship to its government. I mean, it covers literally every single moment of your life. This is your reasonable service. This is, a, this is a gift each and every day. We should never wake up and just say, man, i got to go through this again. No, this is a blessing. We get, to, we get to serve God. This is our reasonable service. This is a gift of God. We like to read Psalm 100, don't we? You know what Psalm 100, and there it says, to serve the Lord with gladness. <laughs> not coercion. Not, well, I guess I better do that. No. It says that we are to serve him with gladness. And I'll tell you this. You might look at certain individuals and like, well, that's their ministry. That's their role. That's, what they, that's the way they should do. 
Do you know what? Serving God takes is, is, is nebulous. There's, there's, no, there's no form or shape to it in the sense that what it is for you may be different for me. There are certain areas that we share in, but then there's certain areas that we, that we don't share in. I mean, it's different for, for a lot of people. I can think back to one person that's already gone home to be the Lord. They just they come to Eastside for a long time, and a lot of you know her, Gloria Solheim. Do you, do you realize that not only did she make blankets, did you realize that she wrote on a weekly basis letters to missionaries and preachers all over the place that she said something about her life? And then she put a devotion, her own devotion in it. And then uh, different prayer requests and things like that in there. Did you realize that she did that for how many people? And I'll tell you this, you probably never known Gloria Solheim unless you went out of your way to go back there. Because she used to sit right back there. You would have never known her. But that was her gift of service. You, you don't, you know, your, how God wants you to serve and how it's going to transpire is going to be different for each and every individual. And so when we look at this, at this, at this um, portion of the scripture then, you say, oh, all right, I, said, I think I'm following you. But you know what? God sometimes is just like he puts that carrot out in front of us. Like, you know what? Because he wants to drive home that point to when we get to a point of decision, we're like, is there a decision to be made? Because he's showing to us in this portion of scripture also that, um, that the, the choice of choosing to serve him is so easy. Look in verse number 19. Verse number 19, it says this, And all the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughter by statute forever. This is an important phrase in the Bible. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and thy seed with thee. When you read something like that in the Bible, you should pay attention because you know how many times that occurs in the Bible? Three times. The covenant of salt is only mentioned three times in the Bible. It's kind of weird, you know what I mean? I've heard of other covenants, but the covenant of, of salt, the covenant of salt and just basically is it has a preserving element to it. You put salt to it and it makes things last a really, 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 really long time. So God was saying to Aaron, I'm making this covenant of salt with you because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do this for you. You are my inheritance. This shall never be broken. You know what God was saying to this? Our motivation in wanting to serve God is this, is that when we are devoted to serving God, we will experience, we will have the realization of his promises working out in our lives. We will have the realization of God's word performing and working itself out in our lives. You may say, well, God doesn't seem real in my life. Man, I haven't seen God do anything in my life. I'm going to tell you this. You get busy serving God, and you're going to just start seeing God's word fulfilled and played out in your life. You will start to see some of those things. You, you might come up to me and say, oh, well, man, I started doing that. And you know, the Bible said, asking you shall receive, seeking you shall knock, knocking it shall be opened unto you. Man, I've been praying, and man, the windows of heaven, they're open right now. I've got to get an umbrella. It's getting so, it's getting so thick in here. 
You know what I mean? But Aaron, every single day that he was serving God, God was taking care of him. He was living under the realization of the promises of God being fulfilled in his life. He was being able to see God's work being lived out in his life in a real and meaningful way. And these truths that are preached from the Bible here, the truths that you read from, from here, you want to f- experience the realization of God's word in your life, then be faithful serving him in every single way, shape, and form that he has you to do. Regardless if it's on a sign-up sheet or regardless if it's your neighbor who needs a helping hand. You see, because I'll tell you about this, I like to see God's word worked out in my life and then also this when we are devoted to serving God it's made a lot easier to when we realize his provision for us that he will provide and how he takes care of us you know what Aaron never ever had to worry about man we're gonna have something to eat do we got some money in the pocket can we go get groceries because you know what because they were to live off the offerings, the part of the heave offering was theirs. They got, they got. I mean, I, they've got to be eating steaks. I mean, this is good, good work here. They got to eat steak, and uh, they're bringing in grain, grain offerings. So I'm guessing they probably had maybe cornbread or something else like that. I mean, they had all sorts of godly things going on in there. But then people were taking their uh, offerings in under, under them. Yep, they, they believe it or not, they, they. Got, they got money out of the offering plate because they had to live. And, but God was pr- constantly providing and taking care of them. When we are serving God, we can have the assurance that God will provide and God will take care of us. And I'm not just talking even in the physical things in this life. I mean, it is always a blessing when God takes care of us in our physical needs. But you know what? Sometimes it's just those God provides encouragement for us along the way. God invites those days that, man, this just kind of stinks. And then you wake up and then God does something. And you're like, okay, this is a whole lot better. Because sometimes we need that. And when we are serving God, you will be able to experience the provision of God in your life. And God wants to provide. And God wants to bless. And God wants to, wants to, do, these, wants to do these things for you. And then lastly, it says um, there at the end in verse 31 that it says um, uh, that you will receive a reward for your service. You know what? Sometimes we don't make enough attention that God wants to reward us for serving, reward us for serving him. We don't serve him for what we can get out of it. But aren't you thankful we do get something out of it? And God's just like, well, we're just like, yeah, I'm thankful you sacrificed for me. And uh, that's, that's good enough. You know, God's not like that at all. You see, God said to Aaron, I'm going to reward you for your faithfulness. You just serve me. I'll be your inheritance. And I, and I, will, I will reward you. You see, it's kind of like what Paul wrote in the New Testament. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto man, knowing that of the Lord. Ye shall receive the re- reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. 
Now, in the immediate context, that, that, that's really good because I was talking about when you're at work, you don't work for your boss, you work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if you have a rascal for a boss, your real boss is not the guy who's signing your paycheck, to be honest with you, that you work for, you serve the Lord. See, when you show up at work tomorrow, you serve the Lord. I know I probably ruined your week, but I'm just telling you this, you serve the Lord, and you say, well, well, I don't get any recognition from any of my co-workers or my boss. Is that who you're to do it for? Your reward is of the Lord. The reason why we do anything is, is this is because we'd rather have God's rewards and let God respond to it accordingly in his own way, in his own time. And may I say, don't get bent out of shape if it's like, well, I don't ever see those things happen in my life and I've been serving God. Well, I'm wondering if the, maybe the reason why you're not is because of that attitude. But then secondly is, it's up to him to decide when he's going to do it. Because sometimes we just need to learn to wait to receive what he wants to give to us. So when I look at Numbers 18 tonight, it is a challenge for us. We're talking about love works. We're talking about service. And you have to ask yourself, Where's your heart in relationship to, to really serving the Lord? I mean, seriously, ask yourself this question. Because I think we talk about serving the Lord, and we just hear it all the time. And we're like, ah. but when's the last time you meditated on that? That you got on your face before God and asked him, what does serving God mean in my life? What does it involve? Well, you say, well, I know it involves this, this, and this, and this. Then ask him to show you something that you are not even aware of. I think the prayer request, be uh, God, open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Search me, O God, and know me and try me. Maybe that's what you need to do tonight. And maybe you've lost so, you've lost so much sight of the salvation that you've received in Christ that you're even coming to church tonight was nothing more than I checked the box tonight. I got my duty out of the way. And God said, that's, that's no service to me. You've done no, no favor to yourself, and you've certainly done no favor to me. And maybe tonight, we might want to just say, am I taking advantage of all the opportunities that God has given me to serve the Lord? I found this one little story here I want to finish with here. He said, years ago, Queen Mary used to make an annual visit to Scotland. They loved her so much, she was free to move freely among the people without her private escort. One afternoon, while walking with some children, she went out rather far. Dark clouds came unexpectedly, so she stopped at a nearby house of a commoner to borrow an umbrella. If you lend it to me, I will send it back to you, she promised. The lady who answered the door was reluctant to give the stranger her best one, and so she got an old cast-off umbrella out of the attic. One of the ribs was broken and there were several holes in the fabric. Apologizing, the lady turned it over to the queen who she did not recognize. The next day there was another knock at the door and when she opened it, she saw a man in a gold braid, evidently one of the royal guards, holding in his hands her old tattered umbrella. The queen sent me, he said. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. For a for a moment, the poor woman was stunned. Then she burst into tears. 
Oh, what an opportunity I missed when I did get when I did not give her my best. Man, I sure hope after hearing something like this tonight and opening up the word of God tonight that you don't have to sit there before one day instead of hearing well done and good and faithful servant that you stand before God and you're crying because all you gave to him was your worn out, broken, tattered umbrella when you had something much better to give them than that. Let's not be a people that are, have to and meet the Lord and have to confess that we've missed our opportunity to give our best when we have that opportunity to do it now. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to have a time of invitation here. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.